another episode of ESPN The Far Post Podcast. We are doing a little review of all of the Matilda's doco episodes. So obviously Matilda's The World at Our Feet is over on Disney+. Plus. It's a six-part documentary series following this team after each episode. We're recording a little episode to talk about what we just saw. Uh, this episode, episode three, very stressful. Um, and we've spoken in the last couple of episodes about how uh, we had to relive a little bit of trauma. This one, we had to relive a little bit of trauma. And as much as one can have a cliffhanger um, in a six-part documentary series that was all released on the same day, this episode leaves us on a cliffhanger and not a pleasant cliffhanger. So obviously lots to talk about. But before we get into it, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today's episode, you've got me, Marissa Lordanic, Sam Lewis, and Angela Christian Wilkes. So, friendos, we are in camp with the Tillies. It's April 2021-ish. We're playing New Zealand in that two-game series. Lots of things are happening. We've had a win, which was really nice. It was that ridiculous late show up in Townsville. We're in Canberra now. We've beaten them, the Kiwis, once again, which has been really, really pleasant. And post-game, Ivy Lewick has done something really, really special. And we spoke a lot about how we were very emotional in episode two. For me, this one also got me very emotional because getting to rewatch Ivy do something that special and that selfless for her brother, just waterworks. So was everyone crying in this episode as well? Oh, my God, yes. And Marissa, you and I were there. Do you remember that? We were there in Canberra. I do watching this happen on the field below us and shoving party pies into our bags. But what, um, <laughs> it's, it's true. What, we can't deny it. And what, what I really loved about this episode was actually seeing behind the scenes because when, when you and I were still standing up there in the media tribune, watching Ivy get her head shaved, uh, to raise funds for her, her brother Noah, who had a brain tumor, Tony Gustafson was down in the, in the bowels of the stadium, giving a press conference where he, I don't think I've ever seen him so emotional. This is the first time that I've actually seen the footage. He was asked about what Ivy had had done, this beautiful gesture um, of, of raising awareness and raising money for, for cancer research. And Tony himself had said that he had recently been sort of struggling with some family health issues himself and had written a, like a nice little message on his shoes in honour honor of his dad. Um, and it was asked by a journalist in the post-match press conference about what Ivy had done and he like was on the verge of tears he had to sort of like pause his answer and take a gulp of water he said something really beautiful which is that it's so much more than football this is a quote and this team shows that so much every day the way that they come together with Ivy this is what we're about we share our scars and we're in this together which is just so like, it's just such a reminder of what this team means, not just to all of us on the outside, but what they mean to each other as well. And I remember when I was interviewing Steph Catley for my, um, my preview piece the other day, I asked her about some of these moments and about, you know, how, you know, you can say that a, a team is a family and all that, but they really are a family. They have been through so much together. They've been through, they've grown up together. A lot of these players for over the, you know, 10 years that they've been in the national team. And for a lot of them, they've experienced some of their darkest moments in camp. They've had to rally around each other 
to get them through really difficult moments off the field. And this is a moment with Ivy um, that I think really brought out a lot of that, a lot of that feeling. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was beautiful. Like I was already crying from basically just like the start of episode one. So at this point, I'm just like a shriveled prune, um, because I have no moisture left in my body, but yeah, no, it it was, it was really beautiful. The other thing that I really liked is obviously, you know, we talk a lot about the family family and some of, sometimes it comes, sometimes it becomes maybe not tired, but there's an element of cliche to it where it's like, yeah, we get it. You're a family. And then you see something like that and you're like, no, they live this stuff. I think Mm. the same can very much be said in this episode, particular, the relationship with the fans. Like we heard the players talk about how, how much they want to give to the fans because they know how important it was when you were a kid and you got to meet your idol, even just a fist bump made their day. And so getting to see them, especially, you know, they've come down to camera, they're at their training session and we know, cause we've seen it, how they spent literally like sometimes in excess of half an hour, 40 minutes up to an hour, just signing autographs, taking photos, mm-hmm. doing all this stuff. And one thing that really stood out to me was Sam Kerr literally just like, I'm sorry, I can't do anymore. I can't do any I've got to go. Tuesday, Tuesday, I promise. I'll do it, blah, blah, blah. And then she sees a little girl in a Sam Kerr kit. She's like, and she kind of pulls her face. She's like, no, I have to. I have to. She's wearing a little Sam Kerr yeah. kit. Um, so I think it was really interesting, again, because we know that sports people, athletes, love to be like, we're nothing without the fans. We're nothing without the fans. But, again, it was just that reminder of seeing it and I suppose all of this generation of players maybe haven't yet um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Like become disconnected from the fans. It's a very different experience in terms of access and the relationship between players and fans, which is maybe different to other sports, men's sports, things like that. Um, It was really just pleasant to see that that relationship between fans and the Matildas that they all kind of speak of. It was nice to actually quite literally see it and how important it is to them. Um, so I really enjoyed that. I liked seeing that. Um, there were a couple of other really silly little things that I liked. Just before um, Ivy shaved her head and did that, in the actual game, they were talking about how they love playing New Zealand because obviously there's the rivalry, blah, 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 blah. Um, and both Katrina Gorey and Hayley Razo were like, yeah, we know that they're going to be physical, so we kind of have to give a little bit back. And then Katrina Gorey literally says, you know, if you have to take some legs out, you have to take some legs out. And it just made me laugh because <laughs> of the episode we were talking about a couple of weeks ago where we were joking that, you know, the other Tillies were having to teach Harper Gorey about how, like, mummy mm, just did a professional foul. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> Minnie herself. Mummy just two-footed an opponent. <laughs> You're not allowed to do that, Harper. Mummy just took out a, a football fern's legs, but it's okay because sometimes you've got to do that. And then Hayley Razor as well. She's like, you know, we know that the ferns are physical. We like to give it back or I do at least. And I'm like, I'm really glad that it was Gori and Razo admitting basically that they are the little mongrels in the team because I think anyone who's watched the Tillies for long enough knows that absolutely those two are little mongrels, but in the absolute best sense of the word. So I absolutely loved seeing that um but yeah after this window and these games against New Zealand we kind of got to watch some of the players go back to their clubs overseas we got to see Ellie Carpenter in Lyon um uh, Sam you we've seen Ellie return to Lyon and she's getting her nails done and there was something that she said that just made you laugh (laughs) 
God bless her. So Ellie Carpenter grew up in a place called Cowra, which is just in the absolute butt crap of nowhere in New South Wales. She's just, so she comes from a town of maybe like max 10,000 people. The sign on the outside of the town um, says like, welcome to Cowra, New South Wales is tiniest, tidiest town. Pretty sure I laughed and I took a note of that because I was like, the tidiest town? It's that kind of space. Anyway, now she's in the big bad world of France. She's in Lyon, this bustling, beautiful, interesting cultural hub of, of languages and whatever. She's going to get her nails done. She's sitting down at the counter. So she's getting them painted like a, like a I think it's yellow or white or something. And she says, I'm, this is a quote, I'm a country girl at heart. I could go rough and go camping and not shower for weeks, but since living in Europe, nails every week, hair, facials. <laughs> she's become so glam. She's become just like absolutely the kind of person who you would expect her to become having grown up in the country, just embracing city girl life. And I just love it for her. She looks like she's having such a ball. There's um in one of the earlier episodes as well they have like footage of her doing her French lesson, which is try cute. Did I do that right? Ellie, <laughs> tell me. Um, yeah, but I I was happy to hear that because I'm like yeah, Ellie Carpenter, she's a grot girl. She's a grot girl, just like me. She's just like me, but one thousand times more glamorous. Um, I I did want to quickly note before we um get into the trauma uh what I really loved about this episode is like they there was a bit more of the backroom stuff like they featured a little bit more um and I haven't watched past episode three yet so I'm not too sure if if we'll see more of that so I guess that's like the opposite of a spoiler non-spoiler um but yeah it was it was really great to see that because I think there is so much that goes into um yeah making a national team happen and, and getting them where they need to go and the the team chef Vinny which was nice as well um and yeah interesting no phones at dinner for the Matildas which um I don't know that was just a, a an interesting thing to find out um I wonder who enforced that as well who started that rule um but yeah uh the back the that that kind of thing is really interesting to me but anyway yeah Ellie Carpenter back to Ellie Carpenter well just quickly speaking of backroom staff we also got a little cameo appearance from friend of the pod Anne O'Dong shout out to Anne O'Dong uh and to kit manager Holly as well who start to feature a little bit more prominently from this point forward in the series and it goes to show yeah like Angela as you said like the team behind the team you know there are so 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 many people who work so 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 hard in order for these players to do what they do and they never really get any recognition beyond a story here or there like Vinny for example the chef I remember interviewing Vinny um, and his involvement with Socceroos in Qatar and he plays such a huge role in this team but hardly anybody knows about it so being able to get some little insights into all these different people who make the big machine of the Matildas work is also really fun. Is Vinny single? Sorry. <laughs> She is. Um, but I think that's a really good way to kind of <laughs> that's a really good way to kind of it's the same sort of topic, maybe not necessarily backroom stuff, but the other cogs in the machine of a national team, which 
make decisions and all that kind of stuff. We are taken into the boardroom. We are taken into a meeting at Mm. Football Australia HQ where Paddy Steinfort, I can't remember his job title for the life of me now. He's like head of performance or something. Head of high performance. He's the head of high performance. And he basically tells James Johnson, um, Mark Falvo, a whole bunch of other very high up senior Football Australia people that um, if they don't rest a whole bunch of Cor Matildas for the upcoming June window, there's a very good chance they will not be right for the World Cup. And that was a really interesting one because kind of thinking back to what would eventually become the Spain window where the Matildas played Spain and Portugal in June last year, hearing then the conversation that was going on in the lead up to that and the decisions that were made and why they were made, that was a really fascinating kind of uh, insight to get from this. So were you guys similarly like, oh, okay, that, you know, when you hear it directly from the head of high performance that like these players could be no good if we don't give them a rest, it's like a bit confronting in a weird sort of way. Yeah, uh, this was one of the most interesting scenes of the whole series for me because not only did it show the actual negotiation that happens in a moment like this, but it also so- shows how early the negotiation started. Like this, they hadn't even, like the, the word that we were going to be playing Spain wasn't even out yet. We didn't even know that Spain was going to be the opponent and they were already starting to make decisions like this. And it also was like, it was so interesting to see how finely balanced that conversation was because James Johnson was wanting to field the strongest lineup. He wanted Sam Kerr to be playing against Spain. This was Spain. This is Spain who could go on to win the Euros, Spain who could go on to win the World Cup. This would be an incredible clash of titans between these two national teams who would be able to attract money and viewers and fans and it would be a marketing bonanza but it's Patty Steinford who comes over the top and says, you know what, we actually need to keep an eye on the bigger picture here. And the line that he said, which really rang true, particularly in hindsight, if you play Sam Kerr in June this year, it could cost you Sam in June of next year. And so what ends up happening is we get this, uh, this squad that is deliberately under strength. We see in this episode a number of core players, Lana Kennedy, Rasso, Catley, they all go off and have some holiday, which they hadn't had for a very long time. And we also start to see the emergence of a couple of young players, Courtney Vine, Charlie Grant, Courtney Nevin, some players who are now firmly established in the Matildas. This was the moment that the life trajectory for them pivoted. And this was the decision that was made in this boardroom that has led to this point. This is what's so interesting about this series is that because it was filmed a while ago, we see all this stuff now, right? And we see it with the context of what has happened in the, particularly in the past six months and how much it has validated and vindicated all of these decisions. And the thing for me with this particular moment as well is that when we came into this Spain window, we came in with an understrength Matilda's team, but Spain didn't. They came in with their best team and they absolutely just clobbered them, 7-0, one of the worst score lines the Matildas have ever copped. But you know what happened two weeks later? Spain's captain tore her ACL because she was overloaded with match minutes. She wasn't given a rest and it took her out of football for a whole year. Imagine if that had been Sam Kerr. 
imagine the existential spirals that this podcast in particular would have gone down had that happened. Uh, and we sort of did because ultimately we see what happened with Ellie Carpenter <laughs> in this very episode. So <laughs> there's still trauma to come. Yes, that felt like an editorial choice, but like a pointed one, a necessary one. Yes. Everything about that conversation in that room was just so JJ's face when he was told no Sam it was like and I can imagine that's how basically everyone around the country probably felt when they saw that team sheet the squad announcement because you want to see Sam Kerr at every single conceivable opportunity um but yeah I think the other really important thing that you kind of touched on Sam was just the fatigue of the players and this is by no means a new thing like we all know that the players have spoken about this for literal like we're probably nearing a decade um yeah thinking back to the old days of where they would play their W League season go straight to NWSL and they just repeated that cycle of two seasons a year plus national team commitments never having a break obviously it improved when they were able to only play one season uh in Europe but the kind of uh interesting factor then became COVID pushing everything back because I think the thing that we need to talk about is that uh for teams like Spain they've had to do well not Spain specifically but there's been the three back-to-back-to-back major tournaments. So 2021 was the Olympics. 2022, every confederation had their continental tournament and every confederation, barring Asia, held that tournament in July. So in the middle of the year when people would be having their off-season break. Asia's the only one that did it earlier in the year. So in a weird kind of way, that was a blessing in disguise as well, um, that they were able to just... They didn't have any football besides this friendly window. So it was okay that they missed this, as Patty Steinfeld called it, a pointless friendly window. So, like, that was a real blessing in disguise. And then obviously we know we've got World Cup this year and then another Olympics in 2024. So some of these European players and the American players aren't going to get a break by the looks of it for, like, maybe three, four seasons in a row. So the fact that even though it was uncomfortable, and um, at the time, it was a decision that was very heavily questioned. Um, and obviously, after a result like the 7-0 against Spain, it was a decision that was kind of canned because losing 7-0 doesn't feel good. Um, with hindsight, we can see that it was absolutely the right decision to make. So that was probably a really nice vindicating moment for the backroom staff and the high performance kind of section of the Matildas. Um, but yeah, we need to talk, unfortunately, about the traumatizing bit of this episode. Um, was there a small part of you guys that was like, Ooh, Champions League final, how exciting. And you see that there's only like two minutes left and you're like, Ooh, remember when Ellie played in the Champions League final? Like you've almost forgotten because your brain has repressed what happened and then you had to relive it. Minute silence. <laughs> it, it, it kind of feels that way. It, it, I'll tell you what, it felt that way at like 4.30 in the morning when we all got oh, up to watch this it? game. 
Oh my god. Oh, Jesus. The footage of her doing her knee, like it it feels like PTSD flashbacks, you know? And and like having it done in having it seeing it again in slow motion, seeing it seeing it again now where it's like she does it the first time after sort of a, a funny turn and, and tackle under pressure. But then she gets up, she, she sort of wanders off and then she comes back onto the field. But then the worst one happens, which is that she just tries to change direction with no one around her. She's in acres of space. She's trying to change direction to get onto a long ball and her knee just goes sideways. I almost threw up for the first time that I watched it live and I almost threw up again watching it on repeat in this series because um, it, it was just its it, the, your worst nightmare. And for really for the first time, because Ellie Carpenter, she didn't really speak to the media very much when all of that happened. For the first time, we've got an insight into how she was experiencing that moment and the days, literally the days after it had happened. You know, there's the the scene of her waddling around her apartment on crutches before she's even had surgery and how devastated she feels and how she looks when she talks about the first thing that flashed into her mind when she hit the grass. So the first thing I thought of was the World Cup. Then I counted the months. Why now? You know? And then she just bursts into tears and starts to cry. And I'm like, I'm crying too, Ellie. That's exactly what the entirety of Australia was thinking when this moment happened. It was so, so scary. And you've got Sam Kerr coming in saying that Ellie is one of the only, probably the only irreplaceable player in the Matildas outside of herself, but she would never say that. Um, And then the episode ends. And then that's just it. And then we're just left hanging. And I know that we know what happens next. We know that she got, she gets better and she goes through rehab and she comes back to the Matildas in this incredible redemption story. But like that, I, I loved the way that that episode was structured because it totally reflected the cliffhanger that was that moment for us. You know what I mean? Like her going down and us not knowing how bad the injury was, was its own cliffhanger in that period of a couple of like days. And it was only after like what, four or five days, I think after she got scans and had to go overseas to get a a proper test that we found out what had happened. Um, So yeah. So thanks to the editors for, for, uh, for reflecting that, but also I hate you because I was fully reliving it and I didn't want to. (laughs) It was the, the crushing feeling. And it was just that her exact first thoughts were all of our exact first thought. Because yep. I remember, like, the literal pod we did after that, it was like, so how many months are there till the World Cup? She should, like, if everything goes to plan, it should, like, and we, we literally lived the same thing as her, obviously just a lot less seriously because none of us did our knees none of us experienced our first major injury and that's something that obviously she talks about in episode four um but yeah it was incredibly upsetting to have to watch again because it was so upsetting to watch the first time around um 
and kind of taking a step back, I suppose, I thought it must have been really interesting for the documentary crew because we learn a lot about Ellie in the first three episodes. She's someone they follow quite heavily. They're in Leon with her. Um, So you can tell without them ever saying it that she was going to be a major part of this story. I can't imagine any of them foresaw the twist that this story would take and how she is still one of like the main characters of the documentary, but the storyline that they probably expected was not the storyline they ended up with. So in a weird kind of way, it was great that they were following her so heavily because we did get to see a lot of her rehab then. In an ideal world, she doesn't do any and we don't need this storyline at all. Um, but I can just imagine like in some sort of production meetings, um, you know, they were so excited to tell the happy story about the kid from the country moving to the big smoke in France, playing at the best bless, at the best club in the world. And all of a sudden that storyline has just taken a real 180 and we're now following this player in one of the most probably trying times of her life. Oh, goodness me. Angela, how did you go with reliving the trauma of Ellie's knee? bad (laughs) yeah like i said like you like the the way that they've edited the episode like you see her in the strength and conditioning room and then it's like it cuts to um that conversation in the boardroom goes to the matildas having a break and then there's ellie carpenter heading out for the champos and you're just like oh no okay okay i see what you did there Yep, I I get the I get the point. I get the point. Athletes need they need go rest time. Yep, we learned that the hard way. <laughs> I don't. I, to be honest, I don't know if that can be attributed. Have helped. So anyway, yeah, just tough times, but we're out the other side. And I think, yeah, um, the the vision that we get usually of. Or, or not the vision, but the the version that we get of athletes usually post ACL is um, the the kind of brave face kind of thing. Um, Stoicism. I'll come back stronger. Yeah. 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 Which I think. Um, and and the sad thing is, is like, I don't know. We 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 got lucky. In uh, touch wood, touch wood, touch wood, touch wood. But like, the what we're seeing at the moment with other incredibly important players going down with ACL injuries in, in the past few months. Um, I was just thinking like Vivian Miedema for one, she kind of spoke to that perspective, like that front or not front, but like um, line that gets trotted out a lot about like coming back stronger. And I think she was just kind of like, no, like not right now. Um, Mm. Like, I, I just have to rehab this injury basically. I could be I could be paraphrasing that very badly, but um anyway, yeah. And so and like Leah Williamson this week, I'm not too sure if that's been confirmed, but it's looking pretty bad. And so just yeah, it's I think showing that that other side of it where it's like, well fuck, this just sucks. It's the real this side. Yeah, sucks. it's the human side. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're incredibly lucky to have to get back to be able to see Ellie play again, but, um, and and very recently, but I don't know how I would feel if that wasn't the case. Um, 
yeah anyway no good i think this was marissa was this not the moment where you coined the concept the injury hyper awareness window the extreme injury awareness point was uh how i opened my article for espn.com.au about what do the matildas do knowing they won't have ellie for at least six months to a year um and we spoke about it more recently i don't remember why but we've now just reached the sadness injury point where anyone who does do an injury now you just feel gutted for them because there's no Mm -hmm. you know doing the mental calculations like ellie was at that point in time in may last year it's just oh this thing that I've worked for for four years has just been ripped out from underneath me. Um, I can't remember her name, but a Danish player, I think, just did her knee in the Swedish league over the weekend. So she's been ruled out, like Angela said, Leah Williams, and we're still waiting to see what is happening there. And obviously we hope that it's not what we all think it is because unfortunately we've all seen a few too many ACLs that we've all basically become mini experts in their immediate diagnosis. Um, but yeah, that was, that was really the start of the extreme injury awareness point because it was getting to the thing where like, if you did a long-term injury, you were sort of pushing the boundaries of, uh, being able to have some time to actually play before Mm. the world cup. So in a weird kind of way, Ellie's was timed as well as a major injury can be, yeah. which is an awful thing to say, but you kind of get what I mean. But, um, yeah, I would love to never see another ACL again in my life if uh, someone can make that happen. Really appreciate it. Um, on that cliffhanger, though, I think we will wrap up this episode. Um Obviously, episode four is going to be a cracker because we're going to see the immediate aftermath of Ellie Carpenter's injury. So we can't wait to talk to you about it. As always, the series is on Disney+. Plus. It's called The Matildas, The World at Our Feet. Make sure you check it out. And as always, between me and friends of the pod, Joey Lynch and Steph Brands, there's a whole bunch of stuff over on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. As always, you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple, Google, and all the usual pod spots. If you're listening to this as well, there will be dub content. We're right in the thicker final, so make sure you tune in for that. If you want to have a chat to us about the doco, about the dub, about the tillies, we are at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, science! Science!